reading is Psalm 62, which you can follow from page 579 in the Pew Bibles and also on our screen there. Psalm 62, for the director of music, for Jedithon, a psalm of David. Truly my soul finds rest in God, my salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation, he is my fortress, I shall never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? this leaning wall, this tottering fence. Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend upon God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the low-born are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they're only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods, though your riches increase. Do not set your heart in them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. This reading is taken from St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, reading from verse 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. Then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich 
towards God. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to pray before we get going. Ah, there's a link to two. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that we can meet together to have fellowship together, to praise you, to give glory to you, and to uh, listen to and unpack your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, my words will be faithful. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that our minds will be alert and that we will be open to your word. Amen. How many shirts do you have? In Jesus' ministry at the time of our reading, he had just spent an evening with a member of the Pharisee sect having dinner. And he has views on the approach of the Pharisees in general, and there's then a fierce reaction to him from other Pharisees. But meanwhile, this big crowd has uh, gathered, many thousands, uh, we're told, to hear Jesus. And this voice rings out from the crowd, and it says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Evidently, there is some dispute over the administration of the estate of the man's father who has died. And in his response, Jesus gives one answer, one piece of advice, and one parable to explain the advice. And the answer is, man who appointed me to be judge over you, arbiter between you, and the advice is, watch out, be on your guard, against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Well, I'm going to jump uh, to the advice this morning. The dispute over the inheritance is interesting, but it's not the important thing. Uh, But Jesus is going to use it to explain something much more important. He is going to explain about judgment, God's judgment, and the relationship which we have with material things. So what is the advice? Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, followed by that parable. In our Western modern world, we live lives filled with anxiety, don't we? I don't mean the news and current affairs dominated by disasters, examples of political controversy and incompetence, or by personal tragedies. I mean the anxiety which comes about when we set ourselves goals and the worry if we fail to meet them. We worry about the education of our children and of our grandchildren. And there was even a column in the Times last Wednesday complaining about litter on motorways. It's a column in a really, really prominent part of the newspaper. I agree it's not very nice to have litter along motorways, but, you know, actually it's a nice problem to have, isn't it? Uh, No, I mean worry about whether things like, will the NHS work for us? Do I have enough money? 
Will our savings be enough to finance our pension? And for how long will they need to finance that pension? And let's contrast it with Jesus' listeners. They were in a far less abundant world than the one in which we now live. Most would only have had one spare garment. Most would only have had just about enough to live on with the very real prospect that one day they would not even have that. An illness or an injury could easily spell extreme poverty or destitution. Plenty to worry about. Contrast with our lives of worry today. I had an unfortunate DIY accident three weeks weeks ago. Uh, I was in a foreign country. I was a thousand miles from here. That's um, not the life of Jesus' first hearers. I was seen, however, by nationally recognized specialist surgeons within three hours. That's not the life of Jesus' first hearers. Uh, I was operated on the very next day in that same country. That's not the life of Jesus' hearers. And the cost of the operation will be met by the state, which is also not the life of Jesus' first hearers. I'm not going to be in poverty. I will recover. Not the life of Jesus' first hearers. But still, like them, we worry. Let's look at the guy in this in Jesus' parable and ask ourselves, what do we see? First of all, we are told that he's rich and he is actually quite thrifty. He has these barns in which to store grain from his estates. Those barns are also the equivalent of a bank. Those storehouses are going to see him okay for a good long time. And then what happens? He has a bumper harvest. What does he do? Well, he's canny. If he puts it all on the market at once, he'll flood the market, and the price that he can get will go down. So he needs more space for storage, doesn't he? At which point we discover actually he's not so thrifty after all. If you need more grain storage space, what do you do? You build more grain stores. But Mr. Abundant Harvest goes one better. He is going to demolish his current barns and build new, much, much bigger barns. And all the neighbors will know for years to come how Mr. Abundant Harvest did so well in the AD 27 harvest that he could afford to build those huge new barns and to demolish the old ones, which were doing okay. And furthermore, he can afford to take it easy now. It's time to retire. It's been such a good harvest. He's got so much stored, he doesn't have to worry about whether or not it'll be enough for his retirement at all. The pension is fully funded, as we say, however long he lives. And it's a comfortable pension, enough to enable him to take it easy, to eat and to drink and be merry. And then the next thing that we see is that death approaches. And God has got something to say to him. God is not impressed by the splendid, state-of-the-art, supersized barns. In fact, God is forthright with condemnation. You fool! Are his first words to Mr. Abundant Harvest. Ouch. It's not what we hope God is ever going to say to us, is it? But God continues. What's the point of these barns? 
You're about to die. Tomorrow, you're not going to be able to eat and drink and be merry because you'll be dead. You can't take it with you, you know. So what is the point? What do you need now? Not grain. You don't need ordinary-sized barns. You don't need bumper crop barns. You don't need bumper crops. What you need, says God, is a relationship with me. But you and I, we've never met before. You've not even tried to contact me. I was nothing to you. You were tied up in your farming, always. And when you didn't need to work anymore, when this year's superabundant harvest came along, even then, you didn't use your spare time to find me. You just concentrated on yourself. You were going to eat and drink and be merry. So, what's the point? Where has it got you now? Because you're going to have to say goodbye to all that wealth. It just doesn't cut the mustard anymore. Because now you need a relationship with me, your God. But, you know, we don't have that. Mr. Abundant's life was full, but he didn't have so much as an iota of interest in God. He gave no thought to the purpose of life. He's been so busy enjoying this wealth. And let's remember it predates the 80, 20, AD 27 bumper harvest that he didn't ask the question, what is the meaning of life? I mean, you know, even Monty Python asked that question. But Mr. Abundant Harvest didn't ask, why am I here? And Jesus' comment on him at the end of the passage which uh, was read to us is, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. If I can quote from Mel Smith and Griff Rhys-Jones, do you remember those brilliant English comics who came after the sages who made up Monty Python? It makes you think, done it. Yeah, well, this is it. Or, rather more elegantly, as the Westminster Catechism, written between 1646 and 1647, put it, what is the chief end of man... And the answer is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So what are we to conclude from this? How does it change our lives? There are two messages in this parable, depending on who you are. Both messages are about risk. But to cut to the chase... For the non-Christian, the message is, your achievements in life are not going to get you to heaven. To do that, you need a relationship with God, and it's a relationship which starts when you accept that you have not followed God's way. You say sorry, and you put your trust in Jesus, and you accept that Jesus' death on the cross takes away God's anger with you. For the person who is already a Christian... There's a different message, and the difference is that there is a risk in wealth. Jesus is not teaching here that wealth is in itself bad, 
but we can, we, can, we can easily think of wealthy people who are approved in the Bible. I'll give you some examples. Lydia, the well-off trader in that expensive commodity of the time, purple cloth. She was a pillar of the early church and a highly influential leader. She supported early Christian ministry and her wealth was highly beneficial to the spread of the gospel. Acts chapter 4, we read of well-off Christians who realized assets and used them to support the Christian community. Zacchaeus, tax collector, wealthy man. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. Abraham was prosperous. But the difference between Mr. Abundant Harvest and them is that they did not allow wealth to squeeze God out of their lives. They were rich towards God. Now, in relative terms, we are wealthy. We, in this church, in this part of Cambridgeshire. Little Shelford, uh, as you probably know, is located in the Granter Deanery. That's the grouping of churches of which we form part. Um, and uh, it's the area to the south and to the east of Cambridge. The population of the area which forms Granter Deanery is the wealthiest in the Ely Diocese. But this parable shows that we are called to have a wealthy relationship with God. And this is not a question wholly of how much money we give to the work of All Saints Little Shelford. The story of the widow's might is just one way in which the Bible teaches us that we don't buy our way to heaven. Uh, life does not consist of, life is not given meaning by, and life is not fulfilled by an abundance of possessions. But we do need to be careful if we are well off, even if we worked hard to become well off. Jesus tells us elsewhere that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But notice he does not say it's impossible for the rich person to enter the kingdom. But one of the snares of being well off is the time and the effort which one puts into trying to continue to be well off. Maybe it's the uncertainty of not knowing when we're going to die. One result of that is that we may be inclined to the side of caution and so spend time tending maybe obsessively, maybe too much to investments, watching and worrying about interest rates, dividends, yields, and returns. Please don't misunderstand me. We're not called to be imprudent with money. Uh, on the contrary, we are called to be good stewards. But we are called also to be generous to the modern equivalents of widows and orphans and to be generous in our giving to Christian work. Let me give you one small trivial example of the, youth of, of the use of Christian wealth. When Sarah and I were training to become home group leaders many, many years ago, the course uh, on which we were engaged went to help lead a, a mission in South Sea, which is the upmarket side of Portsmouth in Hampshire. And Sarah and I, um, I think actually we were the only couple on the course, and we therefore got placed with a very, very wealthy retired couple who were members of the church in South Sea, which was having the mission. Uh, and um, he had a Rolls Royce. 
And every Sunday, he would use his Rolls Royce as a bus. He would use it and he would give a lift to elderly and infirm members of their congregation to and from church. So, for application, and I'm coming to the last part of uh, this talk, I'm going to come back to the question I asked at the beginning. How many shirts do you have? And I asked that question because I think it may be a rough symbol, an indicator of the relative weight which we give to the material and spiritual aspects of our lives. It's an analogue, if you like, of risk in our relationship with God. It might be shoes for you, I don't know, or something else, your garden, but something which is prominent in your life. Which has got greater prominence for each of us? How long do we spend deciding which shirts to buy compared with the time that we give our relationship with God? Which do we actually think is more important? Which do we give more attention? Uh, Okay, I know that you want to know, what is the answer in my case to the question, how many shirts do you have? I know it's been distracting you since I began speaking. Well, I hope it hasn't been distracting you too much. Well, um, excluding the shirts which are in the wash, Excluding the shirts which are only fit for gardening and for painting. Excluding the ones which I have specially for skiing and the ones specially for cycling. And excluding also the ones which stayed in Provence when we flew home a fortnight ago with hand luggage only rather than driving home in the car, which has got a roof box. Uh, The answer is that I have 56 shirts. I don't know how that compares with the sort of shirt population in, in this room. Uh, if you would like to tell me afterwards, I'm very, very happy, happy to know. But, but the more shirts we have, or whatever the analogue is for you, the more shirts we have, it seems to me that we are at risk, the more we are at risk of impoverishing our relationship with God. Now, I like wearing nice shirts, and I think that I can have all these shirts, but I need to be proportionally more alert to my relationship with God. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Um, the parable, the, the chief end is not to buy more shirts. The parable does not tell us how to be alert, however, in our relationship with God. But I'm going to suggest to you that it includes these things. It's not an exclusive list. Um, <clears throat> it includes reading his word. It includes discerning what he's saying to me. For you, it includes discerning what he's saying to you. Uh, It includes studying and discussing his word with other Christians. It includes acting on that. It includes prayer, supporting other Christians. It includes having Christian fellowship. And it includes having a heart for the widow's and the orphans. Um, to make it personal again, so, so my problem in this is, is being distracted every day from God's word and from prayer. It's very, very easy to, to get going in the morning. You do the, sort of the normal things, and the next normal thing is that you're going to uh, open the Bible, uh, spend some time there, and then you're going to spend some time praying 
to God, glorifying him, giving him thanks and, and petitioning him. And sometimes, you know, more often than I'd really, really like to admit, um, that you know, before I get round to that one, there's something urgent in my mind uh, which I think I need to do. It might be, you know, just sort of tidying up some financial thing. It might be doing a spot of DIY. Um, it might be my work as a parish councillor. It might be taking the dog for a walk. It might be writing to the Times. I have a limited success on that, but two letters so far this year uh, have been published. Uh, and, and, you know, and you do that, and then, actually, it's too late, and you get on with something else. Um, so, so that's, if you want to like, take a prayer, a prayer point for me, it's that I'd stop getting distracted in the morning, and I would actually open, open the word and, uh, and, and pray. Uh, but I'm going to give the last word uh, in this to the Apostle Paul, uh, writing to his protege Timothy, and it's in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, which I really commend to you. It's, it's, it's the last chapter in 1 Timothy. Just take it away um, before you get back to lunch. Uh, uh, please, please, please read it because the whole chapter is relevant but he closes it like this uh, he says Timothy command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, let us not be like the rich fool. Um, let us not be arrogant uh, but let us put our hope in you and remember you day by day and have a rich relationship with you. May we take hold of the life which you offer, which is truly life, the foundation for the coming age. Amen.